HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with Eliza Eliazarov. I did pretty good, right? Close. Close. Eliazarov. Eliazarov. And I was going to call you Eliza at the beginning just to, just to ruffle you a little bit, but um, <laughs> now that you know her real name, uh, is a wonderful photographer whose recent exhibition, Waste Not, uh, up in Beacon, New York, at Forea. Am I saying that right? Fovea. Fovea. Um, explores this fascinating world of food. Not unseen, but overlooked. Um, it, it's, it's more about food rescue than it is about food waste. Because what you're making right now are these excellent tableaus that kind of uh, show not how wasteful our society, but how forgotten uh, some of these, you know, kind of detriments, uh, not detriments, detritus of food, you know, where, where it goes and what happens to it. So we're, we're going to get to that in a second, but we're going to talk about all your craziness before. Um, <laughs> going to college, you studied um, environmental engineering. And first of all, I want to know what the heck that is. Like natural resource management and engineering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a heck yeah. of a summary. <laughs> but, I mean, you had this interest in preservation, yeah. conservation. Con- exactly. Something that didn't actually, well, did correlate to that, but was bigger than what you were studying. Mm-hmm. What were those first senses of, you know, I want to work in this field, maybe of food, but definitely um, I want to, I you know, tattoo sustainability across my arm. Mm-hmm. Well... <laughs> Oh, that's a big question. Okay. Well, I think that initially I, I, was, I was really interested in preservation and conservation issues. And, um, but I was always really interested in ag economics. My ag economic classes in, in undergrad were always really interesting to me and soil science classes and things like that. So even though after university I, I went and worked in preservation and conservation in national parks, um, I was always really interested in in land use and land use issues. 
And um, as the years went on and my interests grew in different directions and different things kind of happened in the world and were brought to my attention and became interests of mine, it kind of shifted to this place of farming and sustainability. No, it's a fascinating thing because, I mean, who, who, who would have known when you were cooking in, like, Glacier National Park that, you know, that, that was going to be something that you cared about so much, aside from just maybe the rote cooking aspect of it, that food management or, you know, what we do with food as an input and output um, was so important to, you know, how you thought about society as a whole. Right. But obviously, you know, food, the production of food and the farming of food is closely connected with conservation and preservation with land use, water use, um, the effect that farming has on the environment, um, ranching, the contribution of, of large farming operations. Well, I mean, I think another one of the places where you were a park ranger like me, is kind of like a very interesting aspect of that. You know, it's a dam. Or Hoover Dam is right there. That's right. And then it is literally a desert, not just a food desert. Mm-hmm. Like, and that, that is because of, well, can you call it water conservation? Uh. So you don't want to get political on me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a fascinating thing that you worked on these national plots of land. Um, and they are preservations in itself. But that you came to an urban place in, in L.A. initially um, and saw, you know, the other side of it. You know, you, you didn't see those fertile, you know, forests. You didn't see the farmers getting, you know, the land that they grew up on. You saw all that thing being deprived and being taken away. Mm-hmm. I mean, let, let, let's talk about South Central Farmers Market in L.A. And, you know, that instance where you saw, you know, that, that first burgeoning interest in trying to help people get their land back Mm -hmm. well when I was when I was living in LA in 2007 and the South Central farmers were in danger of losing their their farmland in downtown LA and the community joined together including celebrities John Baez was sitting in a tree and, you know, all these other people joined forces to really try to get that land that was going to be, I think, converted into a parking lot or something um, saved. And there was so much, there was a lot of talk around that in L.A. It was exciting. It was exciting and to see what was going to happen. Eventually, the worst happened. The farmland was taken away. But it was an interesting time that I think really brought attention to to food justice issues and the the rights people have to to grow their own food. Yeah, I mean, you were a teacher at the time, and you know, you and your students had, had a garden. Was that just a, um, you know, a fun agrarian project, or w- was there a moral in that? Um, I was teaching third grade. I think it. I think it was a. It was both. It was a fun agrarian project, but it was also um, 
I connected a lot of what I was doing with farming to sustainability at that time also and with global warming and we worked with we made a short film for the NRDC and we did a lot of other work where we integrated science and growing and agriculture into current affairs and what was happening in the community. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was a huge current affair affair happening at that time with, you know, Evo Morales and, and, you know, Bolivia's first indigenous president Mm -hmm. that what was it that made you have to go down there and see that for yourself? Because you're talking about, you know, yeah. agrarian reform yeah. from initially, you know, a classroom to a city scale. And now we're talking about a national scale. Right. I just found what Evo Morales was doing to be so inspiring and positive and so exciting. Um, not often do we hear of leaders of state giving land back in a real way to agrarian people or indigenous people. Oftentimes we hear about the land being taken away. And um, as a photographer, I think, and a document documentarian, I've always always been really interested in focusing on the positive aspects of complicated issues so I found what was happening in Bolivia to be really inspiring and interesting and positive so that's why I went (laughs) yeah I mean this was a documentary project as a photographer where you spent what three months down there Mm -hmm. um who did you meet and how did they inspire you aside from just the imagery you made? Mm-hmm. Well, Oh, I met so many inspiring, amazing people. A lot of it was really interesting. It was my first time immersed in an expat journalist community. So I lived with the AP writer in Bolivia and I worked with a New York times contributor to help him and there is another there's all this this whole community of people um, that were that was down there and that were down there and living down there and had some of them had been down there for years and years working on different issues but I I worked with one organization called Fundacion Tierra that was an NGO working in the Altiplano in Bolivia to help the indigenous people in the Altiplano establish land boundaries and get them recorded because they were nomadic, illiterate, oftentimes people and their culture of the Aymara and Quechua people down there was just word of mouth. Like you walk to one ridge and somebody says, this is where my land ends. And then you'd walk distance in another direction and that was the ridge where the other part of the boundary was of the land so it was nothing ever written down so the the country still lacked the the infrastructure or any kind of real documentation of who owned what land so working with these indigenous people who are who who 
you know, own this land by word of word only um, and make it real. So they really had rights to that land when it came time for yeah. it was important and critical. Yeah, it, it's I asked this question of whether or not um, you are a subjective or objective photographer, like whether or not all this passion that, you know, you, you speak about, you know, on, on this certain subject. Um, are you actively helping these people or are you just there to observe and report? It's a hard thing being, you know, a documentary photographer myself. I feel like I stepped away from that aspect of photojournalism Mm -hmm. and I'm sad to have kind of disconnected myself from it. I think the best way I would describe myself was, was, is a concerned photographer and, living in that space of concerned photography. Yeah. I mean, you did your internships at, at what time? Um, life. In yeah, the life, life picture collections. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Edie Adams workshop. And these are places where, you know, there's a conscious behind the lens. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not just taking a, a pretty photo. You're, you're trying to send a message, emit something, evoke something, you know, through that imagery. Absolutely. It, so, I mean, what images have done that for you in the past? Oh, that's a big question. Because <laughs> I can tell you a couple that actually did it for Please, me. Please, tell me. Um, when I was working at Edible Magazine, I got this portfolio in of backyard chickens. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, it was funny working for a food magazine. So often I'd be sent portfolios of, you know, food on the table, what they ate for lunch, mm-hmm. maybe a, a you know portrait of a chef with their arms folded wearing their whites. And... I, I, I can see merit and I, I could see quality uh, within those. But when I saw something that was both abstract um, as a still life, but also as a concept, I, I knew there was something deeper about your imagery. Thank you. So, and it, I mean, we're going to talk about chickens in a second, but one, they, they were beautiful images of people's, you know, backyard poultry in and around what Brooklyn around the country. Yeah. Yeah. And, did you yourself have chickens at the time? No. Do you have chickens now? No. <laughs> but what is this? I beg. It's an ongoing battle with my <laughs> landlord. Yeah. I ask her every few months you could if have I mine, can actually. have them. Do you have some? But we'll talk about that off air. <laughs> oh my gosh. But th- this this connection with that community um, was in direct response to something bigger. What what was the kind of political climate that you think made people look? towards this backyard chicken raising movement? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that partly after the economic, I think a lot of things kind of collided at the same time and at the right time for, for this to all happen, for the new sustainable farming movement to take place and take off. And I think it, it was kind of this collision of... Um, the economy collapsing in 2008, the blogosphere blowing up and social media blowing up, uh, this DIY kind of movement, and then the access to information that became available where people um, were learning that cage-free eggs 
just might doesn't really mean anything. And there is very little regulation around what it means to have free range eggs. Maybe it's still 10,000 chickens in a hen house with a window or something like that. And I think people, because they had access to this information and then be able to see somebody's blog post that, that, um, that talked about how they started their chicken coop, that it really, that it really created this, this community of skill sharing and, uh, possibility that you can do it because it is like this whole skill sharing DIY po- um, kind of culture that we live in now and and that the availability of information and the openness and collaboration that exists between people um, on social media platforms is so inviting and so accessible and also coming into that is playing into that is like meetup.com which I join meetup.com groups chicken enthusiast meetup.com <laughs> groups across the country to find my chicken enthusiasts that that started this project so um, and that's that. what a great platform people you're in, excited about you're interested in raising chickens and getting chickens or you have chickens and you want a community of other folks that are like-minded and you join this group and you get together and you help each other build coops and you share you skill share and you share information and you help problem solve around predators or um, parasites or whatever is affecting your chickens at the time or broodiness or whatever it is. And um, there's this great community out there who is just so enthusiastic and willing to help. So you, no matter where you are in this country that you have today in the in this sharing culture, you have access to this skill sharing and this information, which is such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful thing. And I really think that it has played a huge role in catapulting the sustainability movement and young farmers to feel empowered to start farming yeah. and taking control of their food. Well, and most importantly, I, I believe it's asked the question. Well, it, it's begged the question to reconsider the chicken. When is right. a chicken poultry? Right. But we're, we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk a little more about backyard chickens and, of course, waste not your amazing exhibition of gleaned and foraged for food. You've been listening to Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find the store closest to you.
And welcome back to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here again with Eliza Ellie. Ellie Azaro. Azaro. <laughs> you know, I, I phonetically write them out. I'm like, and then I look at these letters and like, I don't know what this combination. <laughs> it was so much easier to see your last name as is and repeat it in head than like try to parse it out. But I'm over that. And we're, we're on to Waste Not. This exhibition, which you've created, um, you went on assignment. You hung out with a freegan, and you went dumpster diving. Right. Was it as simple as that? Was that what inspired you to open up this world, not only of you know, um, finding use for lost food, but also uh, learning about the society of gleaners? Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of did start as simply as that. It, um, I got this food assignment, this, this shooting assignment, to photograph this gleaner, this, um, I'm sorry, this, this freegan, and I met him on 116th Street and Broadway. And he went, I photographed him and was shooting him very documentary style as he was dumpster diving for food. And what I, what I noticed, so another thing that sometimes freegans do is, especially in New York where there's pedestrian traffic, there's kind of an educational component to what sometimes freegans will do, um, where they uh, will will like kind of spread out some of the food that they've found in the garbage so passersby can see and engage in conversation and they can talk talk to them. So that happened and uh not only was it so he we went we went diving outside of a market af- right after it closed. They brought out the they brought out the trash to the curb and they started going through it and I was photographing and they started putting it out on the street. And um it was just not only was it fascinating to see the the quality of the food that was being thrown out but the engagement there was almost a performative element in the way p- pedestrians were engaging with the freegans around the food there were a lot of questions a lot of confusion a lot of people just stopping and being Curious is the Columbia Columbia campus around that area. There's just a really diverse community of pedestrians walking by, asking questions about why was why is that food in the trash? What is that? What are you guys doing? And I was there photographing it, so I was bringing even more attention to what was happening. And um, and then they were invited to take take anything they wanted, and so it was interesting to see see that interaction, see who said, hey, uh, great, I'll take that apple. I'll take that baguette. It looks great. Or um, people who said, oh, that's horrible, but that f- that, that food was thrown away, but uh, no, I don't, I don't want it because it's yeah. in the garbage. And um, it just really, st- this, this interaction stayed with me. The conversation stayed with me. And I knew that I wanted to, to make work around it. And so what I did was I actually went back with that guy who was my subject for this for the shoot the freegan and i tried to recreate some kind of uh we went we went dumpster diving again and i even like brought a like a table like a little black velvet thing to put on the sidewalk and photograph it in in the scene at on location which was my inclination as a documentary photographer was to photograph this on location and it failed like it, it failed because um you know you have to go dumpster diving at night after the 
after the store has brought the garbage out, which usually occurs at a grocery store around 9 or 10 or 11 at night. And it's on the dirty sidewalk of New York and the lights are, the lighting is really bad and it still looked kind of yucky. So I started thinking, I, it really made me think about it. And I was, my, my main goal was to show the beauty in this food and how can I do that? So I started researching the food in art and I started looking at paintings of, uh, especially from the Dutch masters, like the 17th century food, food and art, still life food paintings, where this food was elevated into art. And I was like, that's it. That's what I need to do. I have to take food that was destined for trash and make it into something that looks like art. Yeah. You know, it was... It- What's really interesting about that is, you know, those Flemish painters, you know, and they were taking something that was so copious, you know, it's right. such like crazy expenditure. And almost I almost feel like those alcove paintings are, are bragging, whereas you're showing the humility in, in people passing up an opportunity to eat what is still really, you know, I mean, it's aside from sustenance, it's really good food. Right. Um, sell by dates is a whole nother discussion. We could have another day. Mm-hmm. But the the light that you were putting what people thought of as garbage you know is that's what's most striking to me mm-hmm. you know because you made these beautiful tableaus like beautiful tableaus where if you didn't tell someone that you had taken out of the garbage would they have known no they wouldn't so that actually is an, an example of how um the caption almost that the written word complements the photo so there's kind of, and I kind of like that. There's, um, I like when there's a little element of surprise or, or something in a photo, a discovery that happens with the viewer when they look at the photo and it looks like one thing, and then maybe they read, and they read that all this food was found in the curbside trash, and they're like, oh, that's that's really interesting to me, and it's kind of funny and entertaining to me to to elicit that kind of a response in in viewers of my work yeah and but it's also juxtaposed with people that are gleaning right and you know i i kind of think of dumpster diving as urban gleaning Mm -hmm. because you are taking something from the land that otherwise would go to waste right yeah yeah so yeah the as the project grew it um so I started with these still life tableaus that I would create in in a studio in my home that I would build and around and use these use these paintings as reference to recreate uh, to create these tableaus. And then as the project grew, I felt compelled to add to the story and tell the bigger story of food waste and food rescue across the country and what it looks like. So it expanded to not only be freegan food rescue, but it grew to cover uh, food rescue organizations like um, the like City Harvest. And that food isn't rescued from the trash, but it's rescued and diverted by a connection with distributors and farmers um, with those organizations. And then I photographed um, 
the food at waste at wasted at Dan Barber's pop up, which really highlights food waste and um, what is discarded in in restaurants or uh, other other aspects of of food, you know, the food system. And then I also worked with Gleaners and like the Connecticut Food Bank and Food Forward in LA to photograph gleaning um, people harvesting uh, fruit from fruit trees in orchards or backyard, just a backyard fruit tree that would have otherwise gone to waste. Um, So I really tried, and composting as well, which is a huge aspect of food rescue and diverting food from the landfill, which is really the goal especially it's not well it's part of the goal is to divert the food from the landfill the other is to not waste and then also this brings um up the question or the issues of 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 hunger hunger issues <laughs> you know, people, we need like five more shows yeah. for all this stuff um I, I because we're running out of time i do definitely want to you know reiterate that your exhibition at fovia up in beacon new york is you know, uh, up until July 3rd, mm-hmm. that everyone should go and read the captions. Yes. <laughs> Aside from seeing the photos, but that you're teaching a farm to table photography class at ICP this fall. That's right. At the International Center of Photography. Yes. And all those photographers interested in food photography, first of all, stop calling it food photography and realize that there can be that much more with policy and social justice and, uh, you know, just, just a consciousness that, you know, goes into image making aside from just making a a beautiful photo Um, and I I definitely think your course will explore all those avenues I hope so and that everyone should check that out and of course some of the most recent covers of Modern Farmer I mean how you make those draft horses in alpaca you know smile (laughs) it's a beautiful thing but that's for another time (laughs) everyone go see Waste Not and Elisa thank you so much for being thank on. you excellent you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org i'm your host michael harlan turkel hoping to have you back here next tuesday at three and a big thanks to whole foods market for sponsoring music by cookies and david engineering cheers Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.